Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. Pedagog launched in 2019 with the goal of amplifying perspectives and experiences on teaching writing across institutions. For the most part, I feel like the podcast has promoted a wide range of perspectives across post-secondary education context. Starting out, my hope was for Pedagog to be a platform that fills gaps in more traditional alphabetic scholarship, which often privileges teachers situated in more research-intensive universities that have space and time to publish. I wanted the podcast to be a space that embraces and showcases experiences and knowledges from all types of classrooms. For us to consider and think about what teaching writing looks like, what it means to teach writing in different contexts, from two-year colleges to historically black colleges and universities, to Hispanic-serving institutions, to private colleges, to small liberal arts colleges, to large and small public universities. Through all these episodes, there's still something missing. The voices and perspectives of teachers at tribal colleges and universities. I taught basic writing and first-year composition at a tribal college as an adjunct for almost two years, and those students and classrooms impacted my perception and understanding of teaching more than any other context. There are currently 32 fully accredited tribal colleges and universities in the United States serving approximately 30,000 full-time and part-time students according to the U.S. Department of Education. This is the seventh episode in a 10-week series that highlights tribal colleges and universities. In this episode, Ania Hake talks about teaching at Leech Lake Tribal College, Anishinaabe values, empowering students, problematizing standardized English, and what she wished people knew about tribal colleges and universities. I really want to empower students to feel comfortable to express, uh, you know, have their own form of expression in writing outside of uh, prescriptive grammar. Um, I want to concentrate on their message, their voice, and clarity. Um, and I want uh, for us to get away from you know, these complex grammatical terms, diagramming sentences, all this, all this stuff. Uh, because by saying there's a standard American English, you're using that standard by which to judge others. And it's a practice that we need to stop um, in academia. Ania Hake is the Dean of Academics at Leech Lake Tribal College in Northern Minnesota. She is a former English composition and literature instructor for LLTC, Bemidji State University, and Turtle Mountain Community College. She has been with LLTC for eight years and has been working with tribal colleges for 11 years. Ania is devoted to the students, community, and life in the North Woods, the tribal and ancestral lands of the Jibwe and Dakota people. Ania, thanks so much for joining us. You teach at Leech Lake Tribal College. Can you talk more about your institutional context? Our demographics are, uh, we're 92% um, indigenous students, largely leech lakers, but um, in the area, we also have White Earth Reservation and Red Lake Reservation. Uh, they both also have their own TCUs, uh, but we do have community members that, you know, come to our college. We are open enrollment, which sometimes the community doesn't always understand um, because we live right next to uh, a larger community in uh, Bemidji, but Bemidji Kamag in Ojibwe Mon. Um, and that is has a large uh, uh, white population, but uh, it also has a university, but they don't understand that the tribal uh, colleges 
open. We do have a lot of first year students, first generation students, although I'm happy to say uh, that is uh, kind of being reduced. So as we continue to outreach to the community, but we do have a number of uh, students that have been out of college for a long time. Like, you know, at, at a university, they call them like non-traditional students. And I don't even think we have like a definition for that. So, you know, we have students right out of high school and we have, you know, students who are 50, 60, you know, even 70. And we have a lot of non-degree seeking students uh, from the community that want to bolster their computer skills or take in an art class or brush up on the language. Um, but uh, it is a rather poor area. Um, Beltrami County, where a lot of our students live, uh, is like the third poorest county in the state. We're located in Cass County, which is uh, right next to Beltrami County. So uh, there's a lot of poverty. Uh, we also uh, struggle with um, addiction use disorder a lot in the community. A lot of our students um, have experienced or have been exposed to uh, that situation. And most of our students are parents. Uh, so we have a lot of kids and we welcome children in the classroom. Let me see if I, I think I, so they're coming from all over. Uh, the Leechuk Reservation is a really large reservation, which is a lot of it is actually water. Uh, but uh, we there's far-flung communities throughout the res reservation. So sometimes our students might be driving from far away. Uh, access to transportation, gas, and uh, food security are also issues that our students face. And we try to mitigate the factors that we can control as much as possible uh, through like emergency aid uh, and you know other, other things like we give away diapers. Uh, we have all sorts of things because if we want to remove those uh, those basic needs, uh, securities from our students so they can look towards uh, their education a little bit more. You know, education always refers back to like that old Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, you know, our students can't concentrate on their education if they don't know where they're going to live or if where their next meal is coming from. Ania, what guides your approach to teaching writing? What are some values or ideas you want students to take from your classes? Yeah, well, everything is connected to our mission statement, which is a quality higher education grounded in Anishinaabe values. And so when I'm teaching writing and I'm teaching like English composition, um, you know, we have to think of different ways to, you know, because we always want to like find ways to like decolonize something, but I'm teaching like, you know, a colonized practice. Uh, and so one thing that I uh, really find important when teaching writing, I've been teaching writing at TCUs for about 10 years at uh, eight at this one and uh, two at Turtle Mountain. But um, I really want to empower students to feel comfortable to express, uh, you know, have their own form of expression in writing outside of uh, prescriptive grammar. Um, I wanna concentrate on their message, their voice and clarity. Um, and I want uh, for us to get away from, you know, these complex grammatical terms, diagramming sentences, all this, all this stuff, uh, 
Because by saying there's a standard American English, you're using that standard by which to judge others. And it's a practice that we need to stop um, in academia. And we need to allow for language and communication to evolve. And so that's something I really want my students to, because there's a lot, especially around English, there's a lot of kind of just history of, of fear in the subject um, and, you know, that kind of generational trauma surrounding traditional education. And so to bring back comfort uh, and support for those students while still uh, maintaining academic rigor, um, because I, I, we had one of our presidents uh, talked about how oh, when she went to boarding school, you know, the, sometimes they made things easier for the Native students and uh, she said that, that it's like a, a not so subtle racism and lowered expectations. And so uh, helping them, you know, achieve high expectations, but in a more comforting way and making sure they feel comfortable uh, to continue to challenge other people on their notions of how somebody should use a language. Ania, what does it look like to decolonize a colonized practice? What community-based knowledge practices are centered in your own classes? Yeah, well, storytelling is an important tradition uh, to many in indigenous populations. Uh, you know, there's even certain stories that we can't tell until there's snow on the ground. Um, so we have to sometimes plan classes around that. Uh, but what I brought in, I recently revamped um, my Comp 1 class. And I brought in... Um, a book by uh, Thomas King called The Truth About Stories. And uh, he's an indigenous author and, and we get to talk about all sorts of issues uh, that kind of he brings up throughout his uh, storytelling of basically it's a narrative and, and then students can feel free to like relate to him or not relate to him. We've had discussions about it. Um, you know, the, there's all sorts of challenging discussions that we can bring into it and people can identify with that experience. And so I wanted to get away from the traditional writing textbook. I, you know, I've seen one, you've seen them all, you know, and it's and then it brings in all this like exemplification and all these terms that they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I also do an exercise at the beginning of the semester called the decolonized self and uh you know that it, it's one that kind of confuses them it's from my online writing book uh i i just use open stacks now uh and uh it's confusing and challenging for them but i find it you know sometimes when i get feedback about an assignment i'm like oh maybe we should ditch that or maybe we should um you know adjust it and i've adjusted it a little bit but I still think it's important for them to be challenged early on and break through and know that they can still do it. Um, and I also changed my grading system uh, to uh, there's it's based off of Sarah, Sarah Zerwin's uh, pointless grading system. Uh, so to get away from that, um, you know, that, you know, they're pouring their soul out in a paper and they get a C or a D you know, or 60 or 70 or whatever it is. And so it's just rated on its level of completeness. So, uh, you know, it's out of like zero, one, two, and two being complete, you achieve the learning outcomes. 
set forth in this course um, for the assignment that are tied to the you know course learning outcomes, whatnot. And you know, one, you know, keep working at it, zero, you didn't hand it in or it, you know, review the instructions. And so that way I'm not, you know, crapping on their work because I'm not. You know, it's it's it all comes down to clarity. And I just try to encourage them as much as possible, especially in a first year writing class, because that's where we get the loss uh, from the students. That's where if they can't get through that writing class, uh, they're more likely to drop out um, and, you know, not make it, not persist to the next semester. And so we really try to concentrate on those core classes that we prescribe in the first semester. Can you talk a little bit more about your sequence of assignments or maybe even the alternative grading practices you draw from? Yeah, um, I do. I have been transitioning into more scaffolding because I used to have like four or five essays, you know, throughout the semester. And now um, I just kind of, we're a small college. Uh, we, you know, I think I forgot to mention that. We, we're sitting at about 169, 169 students for the fall which is good. Our, our numbers are on the rise where everybody else has kind of fallen off. Um, but we're a small college. And so I just see how much writing and frivolous writing students are assigned and um, they're just kind of stressed out about it. And so uh, we need to look at our assessments and see how can I achieve the same learning outcomes uh, with a different assignment. And, and it's, it's not necessarily easier uh, but it just kind of takes away that traditional big old paper and um, they can express themselves and work on clarity in two paragraphs. And so that's where I do. I, I like just I ditched a paper and I made it into five reading responses that are throughout the semester based on uh, the book, The Truth About Stories. And so that makes it easier. Uh, something that I do that makes students uneasy uh, is. Um, I really front load the class uh, and uh, because it seems like at the end, everybody's scrambling, but when you're front loading, it's really all about your messaging and to say, it's okay. You know, this is, this is what I do. And then by the end of the semester, they were happy that I did that. Cause we're just kind of doing come down and reflective activities at the end of the semester. And it looks like I have a ton of assignments when they kind of look at the page but I'm like, you know, a lot of these will take you five minutes. And a lot of them are you did it or you didn't do it uh, because I provide feedback, uh, feedback opportunities uh, every week. And um, I also found that modeling um, was really important, especially for discussion boards. Discussion boards are always a struggle uh, because I teach both asynchronously and in the classroom. Um, but I still have the the classroom students uh, be on the discussion board with the asynchronous students. And so discussion boards are, are really tough for students. So, um, you know, if I don't get it, you know, I, I found this out through like, you know, somebody who was a real go-getter and wanted to like do the whole semester in like two weeks or something. But I found that like participation went up in the discussion boards because they saw somebody already doing it and then receiving encouragement from from the instructor and so if a student isn't doing that then I'm on there you know showing an example of like if I were a student I actually like looked to see if I could create like a fake student in canvas and so I could like incognito like post but I can't 
How are Anishinaabe values incorporated in your pedagogy and class? A lot of it is kind of connected back to um, my work with the truth about stories uh, throughout the class, because, you know, that allows us to um, reflect on the Indigenous experience in the context of Anishinaabe values, which are love, respect, bravery, truth, honesty, humility, and wisdom. And uh, we kind of incorporate different uh, reflection opportunities uh, with, you know, the, the prompts for reading responses. And then also uh, they are they pick their own topics for their for their essays. And uh, we bring up kind of different like indigenous issues and uh, those things we can talk about. Some students, uh, you know, you know, choose to, you know, look at other social issues, uh, you know, which is fine, which is fine with me. Uh, but I guess we're most strongly kind of connected back to that when we're reviewing the online text and how we can look at these like Western practices, uh, which, uh, you know, which indigenous practices predate um, many of the documented Western practices, you know, so when we talk about rhetoric, um, we talk about that uh, in context of Indigenous history as well, and uh, how rhetoric evolved and kind of uh, the um, Anishinaabe equivalent of ethos, logos, pathos, mythos, uh, kairos, and that kind of thing. So ethos, like uh, credibility. So well, what is credibility and, and discussing um, that concept in terms of community um, and uh, emotional connections um, kind of, and that can be connected to mythos because you're kind of connecting uh, the community um, through their stories. And that's another way you can connect to your audience. And then um, logic, what, what, uh, there's a indigenous research book that um, uh, that I reference. I don't assign the whole book because it's 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 too much. It's too much for for the one class. But I bring in examples uh, of that research and how you're documenting, you know, these practices. Because uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, I need three sources for this paper, but they don't understand that the sources don't have to come from a book. It doesn't have to come from an online journal. There's many places for sources. And so we talk about practices and um, how to ask an elder uh, for something uh, and remind the students what they need to offer the elder um, and, you know, and do things in a respectful and a good way in an Anishinaabe way, even if the student isn't Anishinaabe. So because we bring in kind of all those practices and talk about things that are important to the community, but also how we can bring those community values, those Anishinaabe values out into uh, the world, out into other communities. Because even, you know, people, I live in Bemidji um, and even people in this community, uh, even though they live like right dead center between three reservations, they're just uh, very ignorant to a lot of uh, these practices and the people who, you know, founded this land that we're all on and so empowering students to kind of bring those messages uh out what are some challenges to teaching writing at leech lake tribal college yeah it's one it's you know 90 percent the step the challenges that my students face 
the a lot of the deficits that they're coming in at and um you know it's attendance um you know getting work done and so trying to like find different ways to remove some barriers uh while still maintaining the academic rigor that i need them to meet and um and that's thing things like you know giving them extra time on assignments um and um uh, but also supporting them so they don't let it get so far behind, you know, and um, providing opportunities for them to engage with the material outside of just a traditional classroom. So my my asynchronous class and my in-person class, uh, they have access to the same, the same learning management system. Um, and so the in-person class will still have my micro lectures um, and reminders and uh, also designing different ways to get messaging out to students because you know uh, you know with, with the pandemic some some faculty was like i'll just record my synchronous zoom class and i was like nobody's gonna watch that you know i, I wouldn't watch it like somebody was like sent me just like a lecture uh, and so really designing things for them to kind of consume in small ways because that's how you know, we consume things now. It's just become a societal. Thing. I mean, I, I love reading a book, but if I'm if I'm on my phone just phoning and I see a wall of words, I'm like, mm, I might be clicking away. So I try to do things in like uh, like bite sized portions uh, because they're busy. Uh, they're they're very busy. They're you know because some teachers are oh the students are so lazy. I was like no, they're not lazy. And I got this, uh, it was from one of my pandemic um, professional development, but somebody said they're not lazy, they're just ruthlessly efficient. And so understanding how they're going to go through and um, and consume your course and take things in is really important because they want to be as efficient as possible. Uh, but sometimes that means they might skip over something that is going to make them successful on an assignment. And so I have to really think about course design and navigation, and then also making sure that they know what resources the college has for to offer them. Uh, like we can do, a, you know, emergency aid, $700 one time a semester. And um, we also are currently, um, until our COVID funds dry up, uh, offering uh, inflation stipends uh, for our students. And and that's been that's been a big help uh, for for people in the community, um, especially, you know, a lot of our students are working full time, um, their parents. And so we need to understand how students uh, use the course rather than, you know, making, you know, you know, the same It's that old meme like, no, it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm not old and stuffy. But uh, be able to evolve our pedagogical and andragogical practices uh, with the student population. So understanding the student population uh, is huge, and knowing the struggles that they face and being supportive while still um, hel helping them maintain the the academic level that they need to be at. Ania, what do you enjoy the most about teaching at Leech Lake Tribal College? Um, community and humor is a big part of uh, indigenous culture. And so bringing in those opportunities uh, for 
for us to laugh together um, and talk about things that we, you know, enjoy best in the area or, or challenges that everybody faces, you know, and we can, uh, you know, we can all relate to uh, is a, is a big part of it. Um, and then I also like just uh, watching the confidence in the students grow because um, we, we have a developmental writing class too. Um, and, you know, students are often worried to take comp one right away. And sometimes they want to take the developmental writing class, even though it may not be necessary. And I was like, well, you know, if you're not feeling super confident, you can, you can go there, but I, I can help you. So, uh, yeah, it's just really talking to the students and getting to know the, the path that they've been walking and the path that they want to walk is, um, is really is really important to me. I, I think humor is just a way of kind of like disarming, and uh, you know you're not so serious all the time, and um, uh, you can make you know connections through it. Uh, and uh, being a part of the community is really is really important as well. So you're not just you know like for me uh, like. I think about half our instructors are indigenous and the other half aren't. I'm, I'm not, uh, but I grew up in this community. Uh, but even, you know, showing that you're, you're willing to embrace those values and that, you know, you can joke around and you're not just so stuffy because, you know, ideally um, somebody teaching writing to an indigenous population, they would look like the, the indigenous population but unfortunately the humanities have been kind of taken in the shorts for a while and so we just need to grow uh our own you know writing instructor for for down the line for the future and so that's what we really want is we want the community to benefit and we want to understand that we're there to support them uh as a sovereign nation we are their college and uh, we're there for them. And so, uh, yeah, the humor piece is just really, everybody's always, everybody's always joking, especially, especially elders. They'll, they'll always have some good ones ready for you. This is my last question. What do you wish people knew or understood about tribal colleges and universities? Um, I think sometimes people tend to undervalue TCUs. Um, they like, you know, think, oh, it was easier or, you know, it's not, that's not a real education. Um, they also think that students go there for free. Um, they do not, um, you know, any institution they go to, they will have to, um, pay for or whatever. Um, but I really wish they understood that everybody's welcome. Uh, we want, you know, it would be great if like we had, you know, a bigger population to learn more so they could bring that knowledge uh, back out and um, understand our students and uh, understand just all the challenges that the population is facing. Uh, there's a lot of stigma um, around, uh, you know, some of the challenges that our students face, such as, you know, substance use disorder and those stigmas do not help with healing. And so what at the college, we try to destigmatize those things so people feel welcome and they can continue their their path to healing or or 
whatever good walk that they want to walk. And so I, I, you know, I wish the community would understand more about that and um, kind of get away from these age-old stereotypes. Um, so we need to come at it with more of an understanding and, and fewer stereotypes. Thanks, Ania. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.